Can we talk about how I hate the new Instagram Snapchat thing? We can talk about it. Um, I Full disclosure, I am using it. I know. I've been watching. Did you like them? Yeah. I thought you did them very well for what they are, but I hate them. I Look, I don't get them, um, and I definitely think Instagram ripped off poor Snapchat. Yeah. But, but Snapchat's also like a $40 billion company, and I'm not making that number up, so like, I don't care about them. And just as a... I don't know if I'll use them personally on my Instagram yet, because I don't, I don't know, but... It's a nice behind-the-scenes look at the business, and I personally don't want to start a bookshelf Snapchat. Yeah, no. Like, I can't I imagine either. keeping up with one more thing. No. Um, <laughs> like, it makes me want to cry. And I, like, I was so resistant to it, and I hate the idea of it, and I'm not, I'm probably not going to change that. But then when I saw the bookshelf doing it, I was like, oh, actually, for businesses, this makes a lot of sense. For businesses, it's cool. For businesses, cool. for bands, for celebrities. Yeah. Like, I get that, but for, like, a regular person... Like, I love my cat, but she's not interesting enough to post videos on Instagram about daily. Well, and, I mean, and I think it's probably just, I don't know. I follow, personally, a lot of people on Instagram, and now all of their stories pop up. And I'm like, is there a way to just see, like, a like, handful a separate, of these? Like a separate tab. Well, a separate screen. Yeah. And then, but... Which because, is what Snapchat does. Okay. Because the nature of my personality is, oh, I must complete everything, so I need to right, watch to all watch of all these of stories at the top and of like, my screen. The thing with Snapchat is everybody has friends whose stories they don't watch. Yes. And they make that very easy to do. I don't need to see people in flower crowns and beautiful skin that isn't their own. What about Spock? I don't want to see Spock with bunnies on his face. Well, he doesn't have bunnies on his face. Or puppies. I think it's a puppy face. Oh, puppy face. Yeah. No, that's... I'm tired of puppy face. I think we are not young millennials anymore. No, I sound like a grouchy old lady right now. Yeah. But I have for the better part of my life, so. Oh, well. Welcome to episode 81 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. I'm Chris Jensen, a very inconsistent blogger and bookseller at The Bookshelf. And I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. Today we are going to talk about one of my favorite things in the world, which is the idea of expectations defining our reality. Ooh, that sounds so deep. Doesn't it? I got the idea from 500 Days of Summer. Oh, a <laughs> movie all about expectations. Yes, it is. But it has that kind of, mm, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, nah, immediately recognizable, but that's not what I'm looking for, but I'm going to go with it. Really important scene that shows the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character, Tom, in two views at the same time. Yes. Expectations and reality of what he thinks is going to happen at this party he goes to and what actually happens. Yes. And they're playing at the same time under Regina Spector's hero. <laughs> it's a beautiful scene. It's really good. And like, I liked it, whatever, when I saw the movie when it came out, which was a long time ago now. Um, but then, like, as I got older and read things and got degrees and started thinking about things for real, I realized that expectations and reality are really all there is. Mm. Um, and it's great. And I've been thinking about this a lot recently, again, because this week was the release of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Yes. Which the New York Times recently reported that despite, like, record-breaking sales, I think, probably, um, a lot of fans were disappointed that they got, which, I mean, already implies that people knew what they were getting into. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting subject to talk about because... Part of the disappointment may be, sure, due in fact to the fact that this is a play. It's a play. And not a novel. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that was not marketed super clearly. No, I think <laughs> we've had to answer a lot of questions at the register this week um, because there's some confusion about that. Um, because of course they didn't market it as a play. If because they marketed it as a play, a play, nobody was going to buy it. Um, but I would like to talk about the fact that even if this had been a novel, expectations for J.K. Rowling at this point are so high. Sky high. It it wouldn't. It almost doesn't matter that it was a play. It's probably genius of her to release a play. Right. Um, that she didn't. That she didn't write. write. <laughs> she didn't write. Her name, her name is, is listed the biggest. first, but Jack Thorne wrote the play. Yeah. Um, and it's almost like almost laughably fine print underneath. I mean, it, he's on the cover, but it's like written by like underneath J.K. Rowling's <laughs> huge name. Right. Um, it's an original play by Jack Thorne. Yeah. Um, but I just think it's smart on her part because she knows, and she knew this already because that's why she's released these thrillers under the name of Robert Galbraith. Like, mm-hmm. she knew expectations would be too high. Nobody would ever not be disappointed. Right. Um, because look at what happened with, what was her novel? Casual Vacancy. Casual Vacancy in 2012. People hated it. Yeah. Um, it was an adult novel. I tried reading it twice. I really would like to read all of it, but I've never gotten past the first 75 pages. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's bad from what I've read. It was just not what I was looking for. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't read that one. And I, we've talked before on the podcast about sequels. And I feel kind of ambivalent about sequels. I loved the seven Harry Potter books. Like, mm-hmm. to me, they were complete. But I actually was more open to this because it was a play. Yeah. Because I kind of felt like, well, sure. Like, this isn't going to ruin the seven books for me. Like, this is just kind of an addendum. And uh, yeah, I... I like reading plays, so I was open to it. And I will say, despite what the New York Times has reported, in the store, I mean, we're talking about, like, even... So there was a kid at our um, release party at midnight who was fantastic, and he, like, blew everybody away in the trivia, like, just knew all the answers immediately. And he went home and read the book, and his mom has already kind of reported back to us what he thought, and he loved it. And I'm pleasantly surprised by that, because I would have thought, uh-oh, a 10, 11-year-old... Reading a play, right? That's tricky. Oh, and also we've both read it. Yeah. We both really liked it. I liked it. it. Oh, I thought it was great. Um, but it's not like I, I'm not saying it's adult themes or anything. But the main characters really are adults, and it's about middle age. It's about <laughs> parents' relationships with their teen children more than anything else. Yeah, that's true. Which is not something we can immediately relate to. Nope. <laughs> because neither of us are parents. Um, but. We have both been teenagers. Yes. And we both have parents. Yeah. And so... <laughs> yeah, so it, we can relate to it that way. So I I kind of love... Now, we have, like I said, answered a lot of questions at the register where people will come, and it's a very expensive book. Yeah, it is. Um, and people check out at the register and I think are kind of blown away. Yeah. Um, and although, thank you for buying from it, from us or from another independent bookstore. That means a lot. Um, but... When they come to the register, Rebecca, I think, has tried to kind of go ahead and kind of let them know, which I'm not even sure I would do. I kind of like the surprise of going into it. I've been doing that. But yeah, Rebecca's kind of been telling people, hey, just so you know, this is a play. And I do think I have been shocked at how many people are surprised by that. Yeah. Because we are in the quote-unquote book industry. So we knew it was a play. Right. Like, we we knew that. But the marketing department was... All, it was almost like they were trying to keep it a secret. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's smart marketing. Yeah. Um, it's a play based on Harry Potter. Like, nobody wants to read that right. except... Maybe die the diehard fans. fans. Um, I would read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, I don't know that, like, the multinational audience of Harry Potter would care so much about that. Right. 
um, where you market it as the eighth story from J.K. Rowling, which mm-hmm. is not strictly true. Right. It sounds a lot better. Yeah. Um, and this happens in books all the well, time. Well, it happened last summer. It happened absolutely last summer with Ghost at a Watchman. Yeah. Which I also feel like I was in the minority because I read Ghost at a Watchman and I was, I was nervous. I think everybody who read that book was nervous going in. And, you know, when the New York Times released their review before anybody could read it, which I have feelings about that, <laughs> but they released their review before anybody had had a chance to read it, outing Atticus Finch as a racist. Right. And I... I remember reading that and thinking, you know what? Yes, he comes across as a racist, Mm -hmm. but also he comes across as a very realistic Southern gentleman Mm -hmm. from this era. Mm -hmm. And the book was about an adult scout and, and really then learning that, no, this was actually a draft of To Kill a Mockingbird and Harper Lee took these characters and morphed them into something else. And this is an amazing piece of literature just for that reason, just because it's literary history. Um, But so many people went into that book with the wrong expectations, Mm -hmm. um, thinking that it was Harper Lee's like long lost novel. That's not what it was at all. Right. Um, So we've got several layers here. One, we've got people looking for Harper Lee's long lost novel that's not what it is. Right. Um, being disappointed because how could you not be with, right. with that? <laughs> Which she knew. Right. She knew her whole life. She never released another book. I think for that very for reason. For that reason, of course. Um, then you've also got the New York Times telling people that Atticus Finch is a racist, destroying right. their entire childhood, whatever. <laughs> right. So that's quite an expectation to have yeah. going into this book. Which is why I have mm, feelings about releasing a review like that yeah. before anybody's had a chance to formulate opinions on their own. Right. Because we are, as much as we would all like to think that we are independent, critically thinking human beings, like every thought we have comes from somebody else. Sure. I read Rotten Tomato reviews before I go to the movies. Absolutely. I... <laughs> I don't say I won't say that I only go to the movies based on a Rotten Tomato score, but a Rotten Tomato score and my understanding of a movie are nine times out of ten identical. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that says about me. Probably not great things, but like it's it's true. Um, so I don't know. With Harry Potter, I had been seeing so many positive tweets about the play. Yes. Because it was in previews for several weeks before yes. the release of the book, and then the premiere of the play itself, which were the same day. Um, and they were all overwhelmingly positive. Yeah. They said it was like a theater experience like no other. I was going to um, say... It was redefining London stage. Like, it's, yeah. it sounds amazing. It's unbelievable. I'm so jealous. Somebody commented on our bookshelf Facebook page that they're going to see the play in November. Uh. And I was like, what? Um, but when you're reading this, you and I talked, I think, off off mic. That sounds so professional. <laughs> uh, we were talking off mic uh, about reading plays and how you know plays are meant to be watched, and so that's a different reading experience. Yeah. Um, but while I was reading this, of course, you're basically trying to read dialogue, but if, I'm also reading scene descriptions and things like that. And as I was reading those, I was thinking, oh my gosh, how are they going to do this? Yeah. Like, how are they going to do these special effects live, not on film, but on a stage? I, I cannot imagine. No, and it's so hard for both of us to talk about this without spoiling. Yeah. To, without talking details, but I will just say bookshelf. Yes. The bookshelf scene. Yes. I want to see because I have no idea how they would do that, but it sounds like it would be amazing. Yeah, it does sound amazing. And which I think is so, that was something pretty magical. So, <laughs> magical. <laughs> um before the release party that we hosted on Saturday at midnight, I went back and watched the first movie just for fun, which, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever your feelings are about the movies, it was kind of nostalgic to get to go back and watch the first one. And I was watching it and I was thinking, 
J.K. Rowling created this amazing world mm-hmm. that for a while I got to visit. Yep. And while I was reading the play, that's what it took me back to. I think you yep. and I texted each other after you finished. We both finished on Sunday. And <laughs> um, what it made me want to do was go back and reread the books. And to me, then, the play has done its job. Right. Because it's reintroduced you to this world you already loved. It did not ruin it. Like, it, no. you know, it just brought to mind, oh, I remember this magical place. I want to go there again. Right. Well, and then without trying to do this without spoiling, but (laughs) the play itself does revisit scenes from the original books um, in a way that I was not expecting at at all, at all whatsoever. It completely caught me off guard in a good way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then a bad way, but then it redeemed itself in a good way again, because (laughs) I realized why it was was doing. Yeah. Um, So it was really cool. Um, and I, th- I think you're right. Um, reading it made me want to reread those books again, which I don't have time for. <laughs> um, I've, I've reread them a lot of times. Um, more than the average person, probably not as much as like the most diehard fans, but probably four or five times each. And I've only read them. I think I've read um, the first book a couple of times, but every other book I've only read once. And part of that is because of expectations. Right. And I like... I think I've said this before. So I have never watched our wedding video. Um, I have never... I would never do that. I have never watched it. And it has nothing to do with... I mean, of course, nobody really loves seeing themselves on film or hearing their own voices. But it really has to do with, in my mind, I have a picture of how our wedding day went. I have a picture of what I remember and Mm -hmm. what I loved about that day. And I don't need to see it on film. Right. That's how I feel about Harry Potter. Mm, I remember... I I know. Well, (laughs) here's the thing. Okay, so I feel like... I know where I was when I picked up the first book. I know where I was when I read the second book. Like, I remember the feelings I had and, and the nostalgia. But what pleased me about this book, uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, was I read it and realized, oh, I can reread these. This, I'm, they're not going to be ruined for me. No. That magic they're or those better. first few feelings will always be there. But now I can go read them as a grown-up and you'll be, like, I'll be fine. Like, it was like a pep talk to me that, oh, you can reread these. And I think you'll be so pleasantly surprised with how well they hold up. Yeah. Um, they're so intricately woven. The characters are all so good. The world is so well imagined. Um, everything about it I just think is incredible. Are you glad you read them? Because I've, um, I've heard a couple of people... Because personally, I don't understand somebody who's read like the first three Harry Potter books. Like my mm-hmm. husband has read the first three and then not the others. And I'm like, excuse me, how? how? <laughs> excuse how me, how did you do that? But I also think like not everybody gets invested in books the way that we do. Well, that's true. But I just wonder, do you think that has to do with when I read them originally? Hmm. Like if I read them right. as a grown-up Right. So first. we've talked about how like you're four years older than me, so... Yeah. The first books were coming out when you and Harry were the same age. Yes. And the last books were coming out when Harry and I were the same age. Yes. Um, and I think both those things, both those timelines, I guess, are are important. Yeah. I think it's our generation, especially who who love Harry Potter. Yeah. Right? Like, kids who grew up with the movies who are, who are younger still, like, I think the seventh seventh and eighth movies came out my senior year of college okay and then the seventh book came out my senior year of high school okay so that that's different yeah those are different 
eras of my life. That's what was so funny to me Saturday was I fully anticipated it to be a room of millennials. Mm -hmm. And at the midnight release, there were, sure enough, people our age there. And But then there, were also, there was also this 10-year-old who like just lo clearly loves these books and blew everybody away in the trivia game. And 6th graders, 7th graders, and then there was this one. He won the Harry Potter lookalike contest because he came dressed up completely. He was probably probably seven or eight years old and he had been to harry potter camp like which i don't know what that entails but it sounds amazing um oh. and and it just made me feel like oh like jk rowling did it she yeah. created a timeless because i think it's for me i think it's for 30 year olds and 26 year olds like because we grew up with harry but no like other kids are growing up with him and it just makes me so happy <laughs> to know <laughs> that she's created this really timeless work of children's slash adult literature and that it and then it holds up to so much, so much of growing up yeah. and so much of, of doing different things with books. Like I wrote my senior thesis in college on Harry Potter. Okay. I mean, we won't, it's not really a senior thesis, but it was one of the last papers I wrote in college. Right. Um, so it was kind of a pinnacle for me. And like, usually if I have to like dissect a book, I'm not going to enjoy it as much later, which is why I will never dissect Paradise Lost because it's my favorite thing. Um, even though it is ripe for dissection, but <laughs> Harry Potter, like I have all the sticky notes still in my books. I wasn't going to write too much in them cause they're all first editions and I know they're <laughs> like millions of copies and they're not ever going to be worth anything, but still, <laughs> um, and I wouldn't sell them even if they were, but all these sticky notes that are still there that I don't want to remove because even just the fact that I thought about them so deeply when I was right. 22 means a lot to me. Yeah. Ugh. So what would you tell a person who is hesitant about reading this, because this is what we see a lot in the bookstore. It's certainly what we saw with Ghost of a Watchman. Mm -hmm. What do you do if somebody comes in, oh, I don't know if I want to read it? What would you say? Well, first I would ask why. Okay. Um, and if the answer is that they that they don't want to like ruin their childhood experience with it, then I will assure them that it, the, the book does not do that. Mm -hmm. um, the play does not do that. If anything, it deepens these characters and gives a really... There is a scene toward the end of Harry talking to another character that was so necessary. Mm -hmm. Was so necessary because of people's reading of that character after the books that I really needed. Mm -hmm. And I cried a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I cried a lot reading this book. Um, and I will say that if you really love Harry Potter, I can't imagine that you will hate this book unless you go into it wanting to hate it. Mm. That's a good point, which I think some people do. Some people do. Yeah. Um, and I've done that with other things before too. Yeah. We all have, but I, but that's an expectation that has defined your experience of that yeah. text, right? If you, <laughs> my worldview is high hopes, low expectations. If you go in not expecting much, you will always be ple pleasantly surprised. Yes. Um, it was really hard for me to do that this time. Yeah. I had really high hopes and really high expectations from what people told me, but I still was not disappointed. Yeah. I wasn't disappointed either. I, and I, I think I'm a little different from you. I think I went in it with pretty low expectations, um, just because I didn't quite know what to anticipate. I mean, right. it was a, it's a play for crying out right. loud. I knew that much. Um, that was it. But I happened to really enjoy reading plays. Um, this got me out of my awful reading rut Mine too. that I had been in for probably a week and a half where it just felt like I couldn't 
I couldn't find my way through any book. Um, so curling up in my bed, recovering from a midnight release party, you know, and reading this book basically in two settings. Like I think I put it down after act one and then picked it back up and finished it. I did three sittings because I had a lot of papers to grade. It just reminds, but it took, it really did take me back to being a kid and the anticipation I was filled with when a new Harry Potter book came out Yeah. and, and how I could not put those books down. Um, and I'm grateful for that. So I had, I think somebody on Instagram and then a couple of customers in the store have asked, Oh, is it worth it? Should we do it? And my answer, whether or not you're buying it from me or not (laughs) is a resounding, resounding Resounding yes. yes. Like I absolutely think if you love Harry and if you love that world, then this will not ruin those things for you. No. I have I have one quibble, like one major quibble with the book as a whole, with the story as a whole, really. And I think that quibble is because it does change some of my understanding of details from the original series. And there's just one, one detail. And if you can look past the one detail... What is it? Well, it's a huge spoiler. Okay, we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it, but it happens in the last 15 pages. Okay. It's just a reveal. Um, it's a reveal of a character's parentage. Okay. That I really, really did not like. However, okay. I think that the book, the story, mess, um, intentionally presents it as unclear whether or not it's actually true. Okay. Um, and that that's part of the character's <clears throat> characterization. I, that this fact may or may not be true. And if I read it that way, I can look past it and think it's great. I think my only complaint, and I wouldn't really call it a complaint because it's not. I, I, I would recommend this book anyway. To me, it occasionally felt like fan fiction. Yeah. And it... I mean, it is. Yeah, because it, because it she is. didn't write it. Like, somebody else wrote it. I mean, it. and it's her story that somebody else wrote, right? I think, I think the idea is that she wrote the story and he wrote the play yeah. version of the story. So it is still hers... But then there's this other guy, and there are two John Tiffany. I don't actually know what he did. I don't either. Um, I read the back, the the, the author description. I read the author descriptions, but like it didn't actually say their division of labor. Yeah. So who knows? I don't know. But I mean, she has written and released so much <laughs> since. God bless J.K. Rowling. Not keeps... not all of it good. No. Um, but now she has finally said, like, okay, I'm done with Harry. And I hope that she is. And I really, really hope that she is. Because that's my one thing as a fan where I'm kind of like, okay, please be done. Like, I'm ready for I have to so be many done. friends who are, like, legitimately angry every time she releases something new. And I don't go that far, but I haven't read most of it. I was about to say, I don't go that far, but I also don't... I purposefully don't follow her on Twitter or anything because I, I don't do follow know. her on Twitter. I think she's great on Twitter. She's delightful. But she also rarely releases the Harry Potter info that way. It's all oh, through okay. Pottermore. Oh, which I did... Can we talk about Pottermore? We can. I just signed up for it, not because I just wanted to be sorted, because I've taken multiple quizzes, and I'm always sorted the same thing, but everybody makes fun of me because they think I'm lying, and Pottermore sorted me as Gryffindor. Yeah, me too. Just like I have always been sorted my whole life. Okay, so we can talk about this, because this was maybe <laughs> an expectation that defined my personal reality. Um, people who don't know me that well would think like, oh yeah, Ravenclaw, right? Yes, that's what people say about people me. People always say that about me, and my whole life I was like, yeah, no, that's probably true. And then Pottermore sorted me into Gryffindor, I, I want to say my junior year of college, and it caused an existential crisis. <laughs> I'm not I'm not joking. Like, 48 to, to 72 hours of just like, well, well, is that true? Um, what is it about... Me, what made me be Gryffindor? What made this computer algorithm based on nothing? You, there are tears in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> this. 
I don't know if you noticed, but I'm tearing up <laughs> thinking about this because it was really a pivotal moment for me to realize that like <laughs> so much of my self perception depended on this thing, and yeah. that I realized that I don't actually care about academic pursuits, qua academic pursuits. They're interesting to me, but I identify more with the Hermione Granger kind of character who is smart and likes books, but cares so much more about the romance and the fiction and the narrative and the story. I think that's so important for quote-unquote smart kids. Yeah. Like, I think, because truly, if you don't know me very well, I definitely think you look and you think, oh, you're a Ravenclaw. And and I wouldn't have minded that, no. by the way. But I kept telling my friends, well, no. Literally every quiz I've taken on the internet has put me as Gryffindor. And I firmly believe that about myself. Yeah, because, me too. Because this I... This is a firmly and fiercely <laughs> held belief. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I... I'm proud of that because I have always said, like, I, ugh, it bothered me so much growing up to be known as, like, the smart kid, where it was like, I'm more than that. Like, I, I'm more than that. And I I don't think there's anything wrong with being sorted as Ravenclaw or um, my cousin, we were, she was telling me that she always consistently is sorted as Hufflepuff. And so... And there's nothing wrong with no, that. It, no. Hufflepuff means you are a hard worker and you yeah. are loyal. Those are good qualities and we need to stop vilifying yeah. Hufflepuff as the reject house. Well, and I really love that like Mindy Kaling, um, she is Slytherin mm-hmm. and she is proud of yeah. being Slytherin. And I'm like, you go. Like, be proud of your Own house. It. Like, Own your house. Yeah. It's not just like Slytherins are evil Hufflepuffs yeah. are rejects, and and uh, Ravenclaws are condescending and terrible. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. None of these things are necessarily true. Oh, and the Gryffindors are just dumb and rush into danger all the time. Yeah. Like, no. Which is not me not. at all. Have you read those books at all? <laughs> Harry, Harry does that sometimes, but Hermione does not. <laughs> and she is every bit as Gryffindor as Harry is, if not more so, because it, the Sorting Hat did not want to sort her into Slytherin. Although it did want to sort her into Ravenclaw, and she chose Gryffindor the same way that Harry did. Which I think would maybe be what would happen to me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> me too, except I, at 11, probably would have wanted to be a Ravenclaw. I really love, I kind of love that it gave you kind of an existential crisis, because maybe did. it helped set your path. I think it did. I think it made me a better person that I wasn't focused on just knowing things and focused on being the person who knows things. That there are better and more important things in life. Yeah. Thanks, J.K. Rowling. Thank you, J.K. Rowling. (laughs) Um, All right, I think that kind of wraps up my feelings for the most part. I think mine too. I would love to know if you, as a listener, decided to read the new book slash play. Um, And I'd love to know your thoughts. So you can find full episodes of From the Front Porch on iTunes, um, where we would love if you left us a review. Uh, You can also find full episodes on our store website. That's www.bookshelfthomasville.com. And please send your thoughts and reviews to our social media accounts, Twitter and Instagram, at bookshelftville, and know that Hogwarts and the bookshelf will always be there to welcome you home. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.